and a trustee of this church, I do not know, I, Kevin Davis, Joe Clark, Rachel Jenkins, do not know what funds you as individuals give into this place. I don't know. I don't know that all you higher rate taxpayers over there, although I do know now, I don't know what whether you give a penny or a hundred pounds a week. I have no idea. And um, such has been the custom of those who are leading the church because we think it is very healthy that we don't know. Right? The Bible is very, very careful in pointing out that we should not prefer other people because of their status and well-being, yes? Uh, status and, and how much money they, they, they own and earn. And um, to the best of our abilities, we will maintain that position. Is that okay? So whether I we give you a firm handshake at the front, it's not because we think you, you're, you're the best giver. It's just because we have no idea anyway. So we treat everyone the same. That may be poorly, but we will treat everyone the same nonetheless. Um, what we are interested in, though, is, is if you've got needs. Absolutely we are, right? Now, over the years, this church has helped people when they've had financial difficulty. And whether that's, and that's always been just about giving monies away, but it's also maybe giving them firm advice if they have aren't great about managing their own individual funds. Um, praying with them and journeying with them. That's what we've done. And that's what we will endeavor and seek to do as a church. Is that okay? Which I think is the right thing to do. We as elders are interested, though, in finance. And we have to be. Not because... Um, we want to curry favor or get favor from anyone, but because God is interested in our finances. He is. And partly because it cuts directly to the heart of an individual. Interestingly, when, when I started off, I was very surprised how many people were very forthcoming about their financial situations, because in many cases, you probably get a very stern look and think, it's none of your business, how much I earn or don't earn. Finance is at the heart of an individual in many ways. It surrounds our sense of security for you, for your family. One's status in the community and society is determined in part by finances. We use money to gratify ourselves with the holidays, the nice cards, um, the eating out in nice restaurants. It's very personal. Let me read a scripture to you. I think we've, we've got it coming up on the screen. Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And verse 24 so what he says, you cannot serve both God and money. So God is interested absolutely in our finances. So when it comes to you, there is no no-go areas. So we have to do today, folks. We've got to do it. We've got to talk about it, right? And particularly as born-again believers, we have shouldn't have any no-go areas when it comes to the Lord. We belong to Jesus full stop. He paid for us with his blood, written self-sacrifice, and that is that. Amen? Amen? But because we are his hard-won treasure, don't you think he'll be jealous for us and want to look after us like an investment, seeing us increase, and as such, we should be able to trust God in all our areas of our lives, including the area and subject of finance. To the inquiring rich young ruler in the Gospels, he said 
to Jesus that he had observed every good thing, obeyed the law, done what was right, but had a part of his life which wasn't surrendered clearly, and that was his finances. And when Jesus went straight to the core of that individual, which was his pocket, he told him to give away all his riches. And we know the story. He left disappointed because it was a very tough word for him. Yes? Now, in the Old Testament, before the New Covenant, the Jews were required by God to make sacrifices. And those sacrifices were very much the currency of the day. They gave unblemished um, animals, not the second-rate ones, the first fruits, the best, the very things which you would ordinarily want for yourselves. Now, we don't make unblemished animal sacrifices here today. I think Karis would have a fit if he got blood on the carpet. Agreed. (laughs) But the modern equivalents are, are much closer to home, and our attitude to money or the lack of it, and our love of it, can be a reflection as to where we are at with God. Our reliance on him, our trust in him, and our role in his kingdom purposes. The key attitude God wants us to genuinely manifest is, I believe, a genuine generosity. Not a generosity that curries favors from others. The Lord says we should not be like the Pharisees who make a big deal publicly about how generous they are. It's Matthew 19. The heart of what I want, and I trust what the Lord wants to focus on this morning, is this well-known Bible verse, which is in fact the real title of my sermon this morning, The Lord Loves a Cheerful Giver, 2 Corinthians 9. And by the end of this uh, chat, this conversation we have this morning, I hope you will be demonstrably a cheerful giver. Can I give you an example of what I'm looking for? Let's watch this YouTube clip and you'll get a flavor of what I'm thinking about. wasn't Karis or but this is that is that was the offering time right and that guy is brother Franklin I'll tell you a bit more about brother Franklin later but that is the way in which he gives his offering so Andre later on we're going to get the servers (laughs) when the bag goes round to be emulating our dear brother are you up for it Andre you up for it okay okay fantastic now, each, of each week, most of you, I say most of you, give into our offering bag here at Junction 10, but not like Brother Franklin, I, I, I know. Although there's still time, as I say, by the end of the service. But you do give in the bag. Or you do, like me, pay by direct debit, right? Um, for the work and ministry of Junction 10, locally, nationally, and internationally, and have done so faithfully for many years, through recession and boom, through no job, through pay rise or cuts, for special causes and missions, for the building fund, and for vision. And we, 
are grateful. Very, very grateful. And if you come tonight, you'll hear a bit more about how grateful we are in terms of what you've, you've been given to over the last 12 months and what we hope to do over the next year and years to come. Some have given over and above their giving here. Some give to likes of cancer relief. Some people do race for life. Some give to international missions like OM, folks here at Caris. Some even last week gave to young Grace Jenkins for her mission to Mexico. And you can still do that, can't they, Rach? But there are some folks, I imagine, as I said, I don't know what everyone gives, who don't give at all. And maybe for a number of reasons, good reasons in some respects. Perhaps you don't think you have the ability to give because you're in terrible debt. Or because you earn very little. Or you don't control the finances in your home. You're married to a, an unbeliever who doesn't agree or understand about giving to the Lord. Or you just don't believe this is the storehouse. Well, not anymore, anyway. Well, you think the jury is still out and you're waiting to see what happens here. Well, this, folks, is not your annual pep talk or your guilt trip about giving to any Junction 10 activity. And all the people says, and I've been around long enough to see, peop see people deliver this kind of sermon in different churches in so many ways. And I, I may be no different, I hope not. Many of us are and can be rippled in many ways by the caricatured, sweating, televangelist who talks about sowing your financial seed into their very specific ministry in order for you to get ten and a hundredfold back. I'm not going to do that this morning. I don't like sweating. Equally, some of us respond to the pictures of starving children or the terrible disasters to enable us then to part with our hard-earned cash. We will all have a trigger in some ways. Indeed, maybe some of us will have no triggers because we're just basically very tight and don't want to give any money away at all, full stop. But there will be a trigger. But as I said, the only emotion in the end I want to stir here is Brother Franklin's cheer. What is going on in Brother Franklin's heart when kingdom giving em emotes such joy? I pray today with the help of some testimonies and the Holy Spirit and the following three questions that will help, it, that will help us journey and maybe get some revelation on this, this tricky area. So the three questions are, why do I give? Second one is, how much do I give? And the third one is, where do I give? Okay. You right with that? Why, how, and where? First one, why do we give? And we look at three areas. Gratitude. Reciprocity. Nice word, yes. And obedience. Let's do gratitude first. Now, I've got another video for us. It's a bit longer one, but this video blessed me when I first saw it. It really did, right? And I'm setting it up because so I hope it will bless you as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a few minutes long. So when, when it's ready, it's about... <laughs> not that one, not that one. The next one. Lights off, please. We're buffering. Should we do requests? No, here we are. There should be some sound to it, but 
the setup is this guy here hiding away. If we just pause it a second, this guy hiding away here is a mystery giver. And he's gone to the Kroger uh, supermarket to bless people unawares with their shopping and their groceries. So I hope it will work because it is, it is a good, we need some sound to it as well. No? It's been muted. Oh, there's a mu there's an X by the um. Yeah. The left hand side. I think she's turned down Brother Franklin before. That's why. No. It is. It is. It is a really good DVD. Uh, it is. Trust me. It is. Okay. Here we go.
This guy got mugged, he said. says it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Did that bless you? And it's just something as simple as they, they didn't grab the poles and drag them to church to bless them. They went to where the people were at and this was a brand new church set up that says we're going to come and do something to bless our area and we're going to go to the supermarket next door and we're just going to okay, they set the cameras up. There was two guys one giving the money out and one um, filming it. And so what we'll do, we'll just see what happens. And the guy obviously said, put the money down and then went away. And each of those individuals that came up to that check checkout point had their own story. That woman at the end said, I woke up crying. What was that about? Because a God in heaven, we saw he was waiting for us to demonstrate his generosity. Yes, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Our attitude is key in why we give or don't give. The cheerful giver, like the mystery payer, is generous because they are grateful because what God has done and is, and is doing and will do for them. And so they give. Now, some of you with financial problems or those going through a tough time may not believe in a generous God. But let, remind you, let me remind you who he is. Irrespective of your current bank balance, he is a generous God. He has given his very life for us. He died on a cross for us. Why were we yet sinners? 
right? While we were yet still sinners, he came for us. But more than that, and that's fantastic enough, he has given us access to his kingdom, to be sons and daughters of the Most High God, to be co-heirs with Christ. And his word says in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Righteousness, peace, and joy can be accessed today. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. This alone should stir a generous heart of gratitude to the Most High. Willing, but not begrudgingly, but generously. And generosity is one of Junction 10's seven values, remember? And it's evidently the heart of God. In fact, folks, our giving isn't just about how we bless others. Matthew 6 says that when we are giving, we are actually giving to the Lord himself, irrespective of the recipient. What a thought. And that should transform our attitude to giving. And in that context, it doesn't matter who you're giving to, whether they're worthy or not. You're giving unto the Lord. Reciprocity. In simple terms, in simple black country terms, it means you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. And if you can't be motivated by a, a very generous God, right, which should ring alarm bells about as to where you're at, with your walk with the Lord, there may be a self-preservation argument applies. And this is where re reciprocity kicks in. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 7 says this. Now this I say, he who spare, sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The people of the world would call it karma. But it's in the Bible about reaping and sowing. Luke 6 verse 38 says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, it will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You've heard it said, this is still Luke, that you reap and wha what you sow. And biblically, folks, there is a link, dare I say it, to what we receive after we have given. Clearly, motive is important, and don't be fooled by those who want you to sow into their individual ministries in order for you to get a commensurate return, even here, but there is a link. Okay. You ready for a testimony? Right. So I've asked three people. I haven't told them what to say, but I believe the Lord has been speaking to those three individuals about this topic, and I've got a little testimony. Now, I haven't got one of them big hooks to pull folks in if they're going on forever, but I will I will encourage them with uh, a nice stare or a gentle smile, right? Okay? So um, let's ask the first person to come up. They don't know the order. Rachel Willis. Let's give her a round of applause. Now, I don't know exactly what you're going to say, but you go for it. Good morning, everybody. My voice cracks and I cry, so you feel me? So I'll do it now and then I'll be fine. Right, it's very interesting what Kevin just said. And it's very funny that he talked about the cheerful giver because I was not the cheerful giver. So what happened was um, a number of years ago, I was going through a divorce. I got a young child, I got a baby, and my financial situation was really, really rubbish. And I am a firm believer that God can move destiny points along in your bank account. I really do believe that. Um, anyway, so my testimony was that somebody was going to university for three years. And a thought came into my head at the beginning of giving blessing this person by giving them £50 a month into their bank account for the duration of their course. So I kind of said to God, well... That's really funny because I haven't got 50 pounds a month and if I did have a spare 50 pound a month, I could find lots of things to do with it. I've got nappies to buy, I've got kids to clothe, I've got food, I've got a mortgage, I go to work, I've got childcare to pay for and I really, really, really did not want to give that money. 
So me and God argued for about, well, I don't know, one or two months. And he kept on telling me, no, I want you to bless this person. Give them 50 pounds a month. And I kept on saying, no, I can't afford it. I'm not going to do it. So out of obedience, oddly enough, I decided, well, I pay my tithes. God's promised me that he's going to provide all of my needs, including my finances. So I'm going to do it. So I managed to get this person's bank account details at them knowing. I trundled off to the bank, set up the direct debit. I stood at the counter. I went, God, this is not funny. I don't want to give her this money. It's 50 pounds a month. It's three years. I really, really, that's a lot of money. But out of obedience, I did it. So I set it up. I was not cheerful walking away. I mumbled, I grumbled, I was not happy. When I got home, I looked through some old handbags and I opened up a handbag and straight away there was 90 pounds in there. So you ladies who've got handbags, you know that you haven't got a sneaky 90 pounds just sitting in there. So anyway, I was really, really, really encouraged by this 90 pounds. So then that weekend, my mum and dad were coming up for the weekend, and they live in Wales, if you don't know me. So when they came up, I was really excited about this 90 quid, and I said, oh, guess what? God's told me to do this, and I wasn't very happy, but I've done it, and I found 90 quid in my handbag. Isn't God good? But my mum then went into her handbag, and she said to me, well, actually, somebody from my church has given you this. And that was an envelope with 500 quid in it. And they nobody knew anything about that. So that's really good that it gets better. So anyway, the three years have gone. I've paid my 50 quid a month. I'm no longer grumbling and, and moaning. I'm, I'm obedient. I've done it. So at the end of the three years, I suddenly thought, oh, the three years is up. That's great. I'll cancel my direct debit unless you want me to pay it on, Lord. So I went to the bank, canceled my direct debit. And... Um, I'd done what God had told me to do. About a month or two later, I came home, and there was five brown envelopes on the floor from um, the tax office. So I looked at these envelopes, and I thought, oh, dear, that's never a good thing when you get a tax office envelope on the floor. So I opened one. So in the first one, there was a cheque for £320. I thought, ooh, that's nice, £320. Open the next one. £320, next one, £320. There was five of these envelopes, all of them with £320. So my first thought was their machine at the tax office has had a glitch and um, I'm not going to spend this money. I'm going to put it to one side. I'll ring the tax office on Monday and I'll say you've made a mistake. You've sent me all this money and um, we'll sort it out. Anyway, Monday came, came home, more brown envelopes on the floor. So I thought, this is really strange now because there's no explanation, just all these envelopes on the floor. So Tuesday, there was another envelope on the floor, and this one actually was explaining that they'd miscalculated my child tax credits. They'd looked back into my records from four years ago, they'd miscalculated it, and this was what they owed me, and it was actually £1,800. And then, when I do most of my thinking in the shower, one day I thought, I wonder how much money I ever gave that girl in total. And what was the total? £1,800. So, God is good. And I was cheerful in the end. Well, generosity, reciprocity, and we've heard a bit about obedience. We should also give, folks, because God has commanded us to do so. And maybe it's not so popular in our free will, grace settings, but God has given commands. And one of them as such is to give, folks. And this is maybe where folks maybe get rolled up. Well, no one's going to tell me how much to give and where to give. But my friends, let me just read some scripture to you. Matthew 542 says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Matthew 6, this is Jesus by the way, Matthew 6, 3, but when you give, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Verse 38, give and it shall be given to you. Luke eleven forty one. but rather give to the poor. I could go on. This is the word 
of Jesus himself speaking to us about giving. So obedience to what he tells us to do is important. Ready for the next testimony? Let's stay on the, the, the theme of obedience. And let's ask Penelope, Penny Ray. Let's welcome her. For those of you who don't know, Penny is my current mother-in-law. Hello. I'd like to tell you a story. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. You remember that? Yeah. Um, in the days when I was growing up, um, mums were at home. And I used to curl up into my chair and listen with mother, yeah, to a story. Now, when I got married, I was fortunate. And still in that era when I married, um, I was at home with the children. And a lot of my friends were at home with, home with the children. And they didn't really go back to work until the children were a lot older and could look after themselves. Um, so I was fortunate to be at home. My husband had his own business. And then um, his business failed. And we went down and down and down and down. I knew the Lord through this time. That was the good news. But during this time, um, there was the poll tax. And with the poll tax, um, they would not pay for the woman who was at home. And because my husband was then on benefits, they would pay his poll tax out of his benefits, but not mine. So when I had the letter through and I had to pay over 300 pounds and I didn't have any money or any savings, I was irate. I was angry. And I had read that there were women who had gone to prison because of it. And I wasn't prepared to do that, but I said I will go to court until God said, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. That was a command, and I had to be obedient to that word. So out of my child, my family allowance, which came to me, I agreed to pay the nominal amount of five pounds a month. But from there, uh, my daughter was working for a restaurant in Warsaw, and I was asked if I'd make cakes at home. So I made cakes at home, loads of cakes, and at Christmas time, hundreds of mince pies. And this money came in. So I was able to pay that bill. So we're going on a little bit further in this story, so I'll wait to see if Penny can flare at me or smile at me. But um, further on in the story, my youngest child uh, went to school, and he was at full age then, so he was at school full time. And um, I, I said, I, you know, I, I've, I've read in scripture that um, I should work. My husband was on benefits, but I had a responsibility to work and not be a burden to anybody. I was convinced of this. I'd been at home then for nearly 30 years. So I thought, well, I was in fashion and I was in promotions in London. So I could see myself maybe in Debenhams, in a perfume or something. Um, but I thought I'd see what God said. So I said, God, if you want me, <laughs> I've got nods here, if you want me to work, you need to, you need to give me my national insurance number. Yeah? So that was, I don't do fleeces, but it just came out of my mouth. You want me to work? Because I hadn't, I'd lost it. We'd moved so many times. I had lost paperwork. I didn't know what my number was. And then I sort of forgot about it. And then one evening I had a phone call and it was a government official and he said, Mrs. Gray, 
do you want to know your national insurance number? I said, yes. He said, have you got a pen and a pencil? Yes. Pen and a paper? Yes. He said, I said, is it complicated? Do I have to come into your office? Do I have to fill in any forms? No. Tell me your last three addresses and I'll give it to you right now. So he gave me my national insurance number. So I knew I'd got the all clear to go. So then one of my daughters was working. Uh, she wasn't, was she, was Gemma at Fineham? She wasn't, was she? I found out through Gemma, obviously because she was going out with Kevin. It doesn't matter. Well, Kevin knew that I was I'd been cooking for this other restaurant. And he was looking for a chef. Now, I wasn't trained as a chef, but I loved cooking. And I would cook for relaxation while my children played. And I went to, like, an adult education college in the evening and I had loads of recipe books, loads of equ equipment. And he wasn't looking for a professional chef, fortunately. He was looking for a home cook. And I'd done home cooking, yeah? So I went along to the interview and I got the job. Yeah? Well, then, the, the, secure the, uh, the social, social security office was next door at that time. And I had to go and give my particulars and tell them what I was doing. And then found out that they were taking money away from our benefit that my husband was getting. And I was only five pound better off for going to work. Again, I got a bit annoyed. And I said, why are you doing this? Why, what incentive is it to anybody to go to work? for five pounds, but God had told me I needed to work and I needed to earn my money and not take money from the system, not be a burden. So I continued to work. And in a very short space of time, uh, the government changed the whole system. Now, I just find it amazing, but God does this all the time. And there were tax, there was, there was, um, the family tax, uh, tax credits, there was child tax credits, and I had money in my bank. I could go on holiday, I could buy clothes, I could go out for meals, I could treat the children. And I really believe that God, when we're obedient to what the Word says, when we read the Word or we hear the Word in a sermon and we act upon it and we're obedient, he blesses us. He longs to bless us. He just wants to bless us. He, but he asks us that when we follow him, we need to be obedient to the word. And at three o'clock this morning, I was woken up with a song. And it's, a, it's an old um, it's, um, Charles Wesley song. And the words that came, and I couldn't remember all, but the word, and I got up and looked at my phone to check it through. And it was... Um, it was my chains, uh, my chains are broken, my heart is free. I arose, went forth, and followed thee. Amen. Obedience. What, what hymn is that? And can it be? That's what it is. Fantastic. Okay. Obedience. Next one. How much? How much do I give? We're gonna we're gonna whisk through. How much do I give? Should we do tithing? This is where it gets hot. I think. Even though it would be beneficial to this church today, I am not going to instruct you, if I could, on how much you should give. Or tell you to pay tithes. I'm not going to do it. I can see some of you old Pentecostals saying, stone him. <laughs> well, just hold, hold on to your stones for a second. Let me finish. <laughs> the New Testament, and therefore the New Covenant, does not give a very specific command to any specific amount. 
let alone tithing. doesn't. Tithing, or the first tenth of your income, note I said the first and not the last, became the Mosaic law in Leviticus 27.30. And I am sure you have recalled that many a sermon by insecure or under pressure pastors, not here, in other places, even ones which start well on preaching on generous free your giving, and then quote Malachi 3 about robbing God when folks don't give their tithe. In my book, I don't want to guilt anyone into giving here or anywhere. You should not give really reluctantly or under compulsion. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 to 8 says that. And just to remind us, we are under grace. We're not under law. And that itself should be the motivator for giving. But we don't throw tithing out because it was in the Mosaic law. As indeed, we don't throw out instructions not to murder or commit adultery or to steal because they are in the law. In fact, the first tenth tithing was indeed before the law through Abraham and is a good starting guide as to how much we could be giving if we are so inspired to do so. But sticking rigidly to legalistic tithing doesn't inspire generosity. It can, in some cases, keep people to just to meet the mark. Well, I've given my tenth, and that's about it. And denies God the ability to bless us and others so much more in response to our free will giving. You see, our generosity releases God to be generous. He is more willing to give than we are to receive. Second Corinthians again says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is about your heart. What is God saying to you about where you put your finances? When Jesus in Luke 21 observed the rich putting in their offering out of their wealth in the temple, he noted the widow putting in her offering out of her poverty, her copper coins, her might, everything she had wasn't 10%, was 100%. We should manage our funds well. We should budget. As stewards of the resources God has given us, we should have a plan for where we put our finances. And in some cases, when people come to us about uh, financial difficulties, because they don't have a plan, and there's, there's, there's little discipline in terms of where their funds and resources are going. But if we start giving to God and others out of a legalistic heart, then if justice and love and the love of God are absent, then we should receive the same rebuke that Jesus gave the Pharisees in Luke 11.42. Okay. Next testimony. You ready for it? Will? Come on. Let's welcome Will. Thanks, Kevin. Um, I, I could stand here and tell you uh, handfuls of stories since I've been married to Vicky about how God has met our needs, but I think you've heard those sort of stories already. Um, so I'll tell you a bit more about a, a, a process. I'll go back to before I was a Christian, if that's okay. And I've, I've made a few notes just to keep it short so that you don't have to glare at me. So before I was a Christian, because uh, I became a Christian in my early 30s, and before then... Um, uh, my attitude towards money is it, it was my money, I earned it, it was mine. Uh, I think my friends would have said I was very generous because I was generous to my family and friends, uh, in my opinion. Um, I was so generous as well to other people that I gave uh, once £2 a month to uh, children, save the children, and occasionally I might give pounds once a year to children needs. That's how generous I was. Um, I did an Alpha course, as some of you know. Um, and when I was thinking of becoming a Christian, I wrote to someone in the office that some of you may remember, Carol McRoberts, the lovely Carol McRoberts. 
and said, um, you know, if I became a Christian and came to your church, do I have to give money? And if she'd have said yes, I wouldn't have come back. Seriously. And she said, no, you don't. She said, I think you will, but you don't have to. There's no pressure. You don't have to do that. And that was really important to me, that it wasn't this legalistic thing of, you become a Christian, you've got to tithe. That would have turned me off as a, as a non-Christian. So I did the Alpha course, I became a Christian. And straight after the Alpha course, we used to run a discipleship course. And the first thing you did on a discipleship course was fill in a, a, a sort of spiritual gifts inventory. Guess what come bottom of the list? Giving. Closely followed by care and helps, but we'll leave those to one side. <laughs> but giving, you know, it was clear that um, God had a work to do on my heart. It's interesting that Kev talks about that. And um, it's really odd because I, I w- I've been a Christian probably about two or three months. And, and God sort of got on my case about this. Every time I opened the Bible, have you ever done this? Every time I opened the Bible, it was tithing. It was giving. And my parents are non-Christians, and it got to the stage where they were around once, and I said, God's been talking to me about this much. Watch. I opened the Bible, and what was it? It was tithing. I I could guarantee I'd opened the Bible. It was tithing. It was giving. It was giving. And and God really did a work on my heart through his scriptures, and I got to the stage where I really wanted to tithe. But back then, I was in a a, a marriage to someone who wasn't a Christian, and, and it just wasn't an option. Um, so there's me wanting to give, but I really couldn't, given the situation I was in. I felt I couldn't. Um, but as some of you know my story, that, that my first wife had an affair, and she uh, said she was going to leave and uh, tried for a period of reconciliation. Um, but the day she walked out the door, I said, okay, up until this point, I haven't given, but you're leaving now. I hope we'll be reconciled, but when you walk out the door, out of my money, I, I'll look after you and the kids, but I am giving to God. Um, and, and I did. And God had really changed my heart. Um, also, as if tithing wasn't enough, he started talking to me about giving amounts to other people. You know what I mean? Oh, I want you to write a check for this person there. Hold on a minute, I'm giving you your money. That's not enough. No, that's not enough. And, and oddly enough, every time I did it, um, I would find out that that's exactly what that person needed. That that person was, you know, because God, you know, I love that video because God does understand what's going on and he wants to use us as an instrument of blessing and, as a, uh, and of his love. And he talked to us about, you know, Kev talked about where do we give. Yes, um, I, giving into Junction 10, but also giving to other things, projects, child sponsorship, whatever it might be, um, brick builders here and that sort of stuff. Um, but I just wanted to finish uh, by saying it, it is a process. I, I haven't got it sorted by any means, shape, or form. I think God takes us on a journey. Um, but I do think a tithe, uh, the old Abraham Melchizedek, it was before the law. And, and Jesus doesn't affirm it, but he does refer to it. And I think a tithe, for someone like me, was a really good starting point because if there hadn't have been that 10%, I'd have thought generosity was maybe a, you know, a few pounds here and there. So for me and for other non-Christians who are on that journey, I would encourage you, actually start with a tithe. Don't be bound by it. Don't be sort of legalistic about it. But it is, it is a little bit of a help for some of us. Thanks, Kev. Bless you, Will. Last question. Where do I give it? Will's alluded to that. As an elder of Junction 10, you may expect me to say, give your free will tithes and offerings to this place because we need it. We need it, Lord. We have to pay rent, staff, support local, national, and international missions. We have a building project, and we do have a building project, etc., etc., because this is your biblical storehouse. This is where you get fed. A refrain that's perhaps preached in many a church throughout the world, perhaps. And the argument for paying your tithes and your offerings here has been that this is a biblical storehouse where you do get fed. And for many years, Junction 10 has been that 
for many folks, a place where people have been birthed, fed, yes, and blessed, good soil, and long may it continue. Amen? Interestingly, in Scripture, the target of the tithe has differed. Sometimes it was the storehouse. In other times, it was the temple. In other times, it was cities. In other times, it was to the Levites. Other times, it was to the priesthoods. It differed. And how we came to saying that the church, as we know it today, is the storehouse, is a long story and perhaps another sermon. But interestingly, I have observed an experience where clearly godly ministries have had to seek resources beyond the congregation because church storehouses have hindered the giving ability of their people because of the call to give into a single place because that was the place to give. I don't believe that's God's plan. I'm a firm believer that there is enough amongst and within the body of Christ to see God release himself through our giving. You hear what I'm saying? So as I said, the tithe was before the Jewish law. And in fact, it originated, as Will said, in Genesis 14, where a tenth was given by Father Abraham to Melchizedek, who was a, sim a symbol of Christ to come, in that he was a priest and a king, all in one, a spiritual and temporal power, sacred and secular in one. This means, folks, that temple-like activity, like what we're doing here today with fantastic worship and praying for one another, is important and should be a target of our resources. But it also means that activity that is beyond what happens in here, like food banks and education and getting people into work, should also be the recipients, I believe, of our tithes and our offerings. In God's book, there was and is no divide. The needs of the spiritual were present alongside the needs of the temporal. Christ, our Melchizedek, is the recipient of our giving. Give unto the Lord. And he is interested in both. And that means even beyond our godly giving, the rest of our finances... Beyond the tithe, the 90% are sacred to God himself and of our interest to him. In fact, did I say, because all your money comes from God. Now you may say, well, it comes from um, my um, ingenuity, my um, entrepreneurialism, um, or my inheritance, or, or from the Dole office. That's where my money comes from. But let me say to you that, in fact, the Lord, if you put in this mindset, allows you to keep the rest of your money. Because it's all his anyway, right? And you are stewards of the resources which God has given them. And therefore, what you do with, say it was 90%, is of interest, equal interest to the Lord himself. Now, if it's not given in this place, it's used elsewhere. So, your family holidays, your cars, the houses, the savings, the conservatory, or, or in Phil Begg's place, the orangery, the Waitrose shop, perhaps, or the Aldi shop. I'm an Aldi shop. Should be used for his glory. Like those guys giving there. That's beyond the tithe, I'm sure, right? Practicing hospitality with your shop, feeding people, getting around your house, preparing a meal for someone. Yeah? Where do you give? As an elder of the church, I tell you to give wherever the Lord leads you to give. And that's it, folks. You give where the Lord tells you to give. Second Corinthians again. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I do hope you think that this place is good soil. And uh, since Rach, Joe, and I have taken on the eldership of the church, we have been praying, planning, thinking, 
investing into the things of God. Yes, spiritual stuff. So thinking about how you guys can get access to the word of God in an accessible way. Pastoral stuff, understanding that life is tough for folks. And we've seen marriages break down. So we need to invest into marriages. So we put money into the likes of um, Junction 10 Counseling. And if folks, if you are going through a marriage crisis here today, we don't want to hear about it when it hits the skids, folks. It should be done now. So marriage enrichment, marriage preparation before you even get to that state is important. And our resources will be going into that. But also missional. Junction 10 is a church that isn't introverted. It is always thought about beyond. Yes? And folks, that is who we are and will be. Um, let's, let's jump to the last, the, the last one. Next one. Right. Friday just gone. I'm going to show you, just give you a quick illustration. I was at Buckingham Palace, as you do. Um, the, I could tell you a whole lot of stories. A lot of you know some of our journey in terms of, you know, lead the Divine Trust. I was sent from this church to go and lead that operation 19 odd years ago. In many ways, it was the, um, the kingdom bit rather than the priesthood bit, right? And so we were out there doing what we do to reach young people, try and transform a locality, uh, create schools, work opportunities for people, etc., etc., etc. And when, when I was asked to become an elder in, in, in this particular way, although I've been in church leadership for a while, it wasn't something that immediately resonated with me because I was, I was doing that bit, right? And loved this bit, but it wasn't the thing that got me, right? But this particular word about Melchizedek, priesthood and king, kingship in one, right? There seems to be a merger, I think, of these things. And particularly with, uh, with what God's been doing with bringing Joe, Rachel and I together, each of us very different in our own way. But it seems to be that the focus on the priesthood bit is absolutely important. But also that bit out there. So Buckingham Palace, Friday gone. I've been there a couple of times and I'll be there again on Friday. There is a, there is a prophetic word that's going across the black country. It's been going for, for 20 odd years. Wh one part of it says that out of the industrial heartland of the Midlands, oxen figuratively will be pulling plows the length and breadth of the British Isles. And I've always wondered about what that means because in many ways we've seen a lot of our churches and church groups come together across Staffordshire and Birmingham. You know, we've got a West Midlands combined authority being formed and we think actually this is what the Lord has been saying uh, about revival and regeneration in the secular space. But the bit about pulling plows across the country, I thought, what's that about? Anyway, I was sitting in Buckingham Palace and uh, the Duke of York's private secretary said to me, Kevin, the campaign you've been doing, do you remember the campaign we were doing to create jobs for young people called the Ladder? I like to call it Jacob's Ladder, right? Move from the black country to Staffordshire, to Shropshire, and to London. They've said, Kevin, we now think this should be a national project. And we want you to lead it, right? Uh, you've got to find the money to go and do it as well, by the way. So I said, okay. Friday coming, I we we're having a meeting at the palace with um, a guy from Trinity Mirror. Now, Trinity Mirror runs the, the Mirror newspaper. Trinity Mirror, in the last six months, took over the majority of evening newspapers across the country. Right? You know, you've got the Express and Star here, Evening Standard in London, but they now own the majority of the newspapers across the country. And what the palace and I agreed was that Everywhere where there's a newspaper title, evening newspaper title, with Trinity Mirror run, this ladder campaign could happen. And in the black country, the body of Christ is involved in the ladder campaign, as it is in Staffordshire. So you imagine, I wonder, 
I'm wondering now, looking outside in, sharing with you folks, you know, whether this is part, not in whole, of the oxen being pulled the length and breadth of the British Isles. And because I'm part of this church, part of you, I think this is part of also Junction 10. Praying about it, absolutely. Maybe resourcing it in other ways. But this is part of what we are doing. We will have fantastic worship settings. Great pastoral support we'll endeavor to do. But we're also going to be a kingdom missional church as well that thinks outside of us. Is that okay? Right, time's gone, I know. I'm just going to pray. we still got to do the offering, folks. And Andre and Chifundu are, are ready. Who else, who else is doing the offering? Pat as well. Pat and, and John. Absolutely, great. So we're going to do the offering. And this is not for me to say, Mike, he's done the, he's done the finance sermon now. Come on, start digging out, right? You'll give as the Lord leads you, right? But just... Let's put this all into context, the whole thing, the 100%. What's God do with our finances? Yes? Okay. Worship team, come back. Let's have something very upbeat and up-tempo because I want to see Andre move. And you can help him by moving as well, right? There's some breakdancing down here like Brother Franklin. In fact, Brother Franklin used to be a, a, a dancer in nightclubs, Right? And he felt that was a gifting God had given him, but he stopped it because, well, it's nightclubs. But then he got a conviction to say, you know what? I gave you the ability to dance, right? Use that in a way which you feel uh, appropriate. And he felt it was in giving the offering. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. So cheerful givers, let's stand to our feet. Nick, leaders, servers, let's go for it. Say